Working Fans Podcast. Cool. Yep. All right, here we go. Coming down three, two. For another week of the Working Fans Podcast, this is AJ, I'm the former wrestler, we've got Dave the Ultimate Fan here with us, as we do every week, our producer Joe may, likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter, that's at FansWorking, Facebook, Working Fans Pod, we've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast, and for any ideas that you might have, that's workingfanswrestlingpod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram, where you can keep up with us at workingfanswrestling underscore pod. And then you can now listen to us on all major platforms, including anchor.fm, we're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now, it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. All right, everybody, it's the Working Fans Podcast with the man they call Dave. We're doing the, uh, the Working Fans Comedy Cast again. And today, who I just had on the wrestling episode, Mr. Gene Jackson is continuing to talk to us and Today we're going to talk about his time in comedy. Gene, tell us about how you broke into comedy and why you even thought about doing comedy. How did that come about? So, you know, I, I told you in the previous podcast about what a huge wrestling fan I was. The only other thing that I was a huge fan of was uh, comedy. I loved mm-hmm. watching, which this sounds weird to say now, considering how everything's turned out since then but when i was a kid bill cosby <laughs> right <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm there with you Go ahead. <laughs> on cinemax they would show bill cosby himself that, mm-hmm. that famous comedy special all the time and at one point when i was 10 12 years old i could probably quote that thing. i could probably perform mm-hmm. it in front of a crowd word for word and so it really you know, amazed me like people get paid, like people make a living standing up there telling jokes and mm. you know being funny. So, I always liked you know watching comedy. Eddie Murphy, Raw, Delirious, um, Rodney Dangerfield. I was a big fan of him when I was a kid, and so all these different comedians. And I enjoyed it, but I never thought about actually really. I thought it was cool that they do it, but I didn't really think about actually doing it myself. I didn't know how you'd even go about it, you know. So. Right. Uh, but I always watched it, and then I went to the Stardome in Birmingham, which is a comedy club, and watched. Oh, who did we go see? Oh, Witherspoon, the fo- oh. the dad from Friday. Yeah, uh, John Witherspoon. John, I, guess. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Embarrassing. Yeah. I'm blanking out on. Him. But anyway, we went to go see mm-hmm. him, and at the end, they were like, "Hey, check out our open mics." You know, every third Saturday or whatever it was, and we got in the car and. My now ex-wife, we were heading home, and I, I was like, "Open mic, huh?" I was like, "Hmm, I might try that." So I've signed up. You had to because you had to sign up for it ahead of time, and, and all this. Man, it turns out <laughs> stand-up comedy is a lot harder than it looks. You know, most folks think, "Well, you just get up there and you're funny," right. or you just get up there and you tell jokes. And I mean, it's it's one thing to be the funny guy in your circle of friends. It's sure. one thing to be the funny guy at work because you know those people, you know what they find humorous. 
you usually have, you know, things in common or stories or, you know, they have some insight into what you're talking about. But to make plans to go to a comedy club in front of people you don't know, you don't know who's going to be there. You don't know how many of them is going to be there and have material prepared that can potentially make people laugh of all walks of life, you know, different ages, races, whatever, whatever, you know, group mm. you want to say. It's pretty hard. So I listened to the time I had a 45 minute commute to work every morning back and forth. And I had uh, XM radio. So I listened to those comedy stations on there all the time, which actually was the worst thing in the world when you were trying to write comedy material, because you start feeling like there's nothing that hasn't been covered. Like everybody mm. talked about everything. Like there's not a fresh idea to be had. So I finally just had to quit doing that. But anyway, I came up with a few jokes and went down and I did, did pretty well. Got a good, re- you know, they got a good reaction. And so I went back a second time and did pretty well that time. And the, the, the owner of the club was like, Hey, keep coming back. You're, you know, you're doing well, but where I screwed up initially, and I still have a problem with this to this day, is I knew a lot of the same people were, were coming back. It's kind of like going to the wrestling, go work in wrestling mm. shows back then. Uh, 70% of the crowd is the same people over and over. Right. And 30% of the crowd is the same because they're there with the wrestlers. They're the family, the friends, the hangers on, whatever. And so in my mind, I'm like, well, these people seen me do that material last time. I'm, I'm not going to go. So I was trying to write a whole new set every time I went. Mm. And then one time, about the fourth time I went, my friends at work was like, you should tell stories from work. We got all these hilarious stories. And so I was like, all right, well, we came up with some of the best stuff. And I get up there and I'm about three, three stories in and it's dying. Like it's the first time that I've gone up and I'm getting nothing. So I freak out. I don't want to do the stuff I've already done. So I just start like doing crowd work, like heel wrestler. Oh, like, okay. You know, like, <laughs> like started ripping on people in the crowd, which, you know, they, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not Don Rickles. So they're not too, you know, forgiving of that. So <laughs> I come to the back and the club owner like, he's like, what the hell was that? I'm like, dude, what I was doing wasn't working. So I just started doing crowd work. He's like, that was bad guy wrestler stuff because he kind of knew my story. And I was like, that's bad guy wrestler stuff. That's not what we do here. He's like, well, why didn't you do the Alabama Auburn thing? Why didn't you do this? Well, I was like, well, I already did that. And he's like, that's what you do, man. You you go up, you get you a set, and you you weed out the stuff that don't work. But the stuff that works, you do that every time you go up. He's like, mm. you know how many times Ron White told Tater Salad, you know, right. <laughs> to the same people? And, and so I was like, eh, okay. And it pained me to to do that because like i said i always prided myself when i would go you know i would do shows every friday night as a wrestler i didn't go say the same hateful stuff to him i had new and improved mm-hmm. hateful stuff each and every week so i started doing that and started trying to repeat the material some but then my job schedule changed so i like i say that was around 2006 so then gosh probably three four years passed before i got to do it again i went back to the star dome did some more open mics there. But during those open mics, I met a guy named Jesse who was doing radio for the Rick and Bubba show as the Casio kid. Huh. Um, and then he did Jay Leno under the name Matt Mitchell when he moved, because he moved out to LA for a while and, and uh, did some stuff with the groundlings and whatnot out there. And so we got to be pretty good friends. 
And uh, he was a wrestling fan. I didn't know how much until in recent years, now that him and Conrad got to know each other. And now people know him via Conrad's podcast. Right. He, like I say, he got well-known doing Rick and Bubba as, a, as an intern on Rick and Bubba. And then he moved to Huntsville and he's morning radio DJ in Huntsville. Jimbo and Cassio, the pretty big deal there. But he's originally from Gadsden, Alabama. And so my wife's from Gadsden. And so he was going to do a show at a theater, the Ritz Theater there in uh, Gadsden. First time he's ever doing comedy in his hometown. And so he was getting a guy named Arky Shea, who did radio in, in uh, Birmingham or uh, Huntsville as well. And then a guy who was just starting a tour at the time named Corey Forrester, who has since become pretty well known in comedy with the, oh gosh, what is... There's a whole group of them. I'm blanking. That's embarrassing. I'm blanking out on them right now. But Corey Ryan Forrester, he does this wrestling gimmick now in this comedy called the Buttercream Dream. Mm. Gosh, uh, he's one of Conrad's friends, right? They're all like, yeah, he's one of Conrad's friends as well. Well, sad news bears or something. He does a thing. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, so uh, he asked me, did I want to MC? And so I was like, sure, because MC spot on on comedy, I guess you know, but for the people listening who don't. You come out, you do, you know, five or 10 minutes, introduce the comic, they go up, you go out, you introduce the next comic, and you might do a joke or so in between. And so he asked me to do that. So that was one of the first shows I did that wasn't an open mic. It was actually a booked, you know, gig in a theater with a, a pretty big crowd. He did pretty well. Cause like I said, uh, you know, Cassio was, was well known. He was the class clown of his high school there at Emma Sampson High School. And, Gadsden and everybody been listening to him on the radio all those years. So that was a pretty cool deal. And then, uh, I've done, I've done some shows at the comedy catch in Chattanooga. I've done some shows at Stand Up live in Huntsville. I've done some shows at Zanies in Nashville. Okay. And the thing that's, that really stood out to me that was kind of crazy is breaking into wrestling and breaking into comedy are almost identical. Like it's, it's the same thing. You go to small shows starting out for no money <laughs> and just, you know, you have to offer to do whatever you can to get your foot in the door. And then as you do it, you know, you start leveling up and you meet people. Like I said, like I met Cassio just doing those open mics. And when I met him, it turns out that I had worked with a couple of girls that he went to school with that knew him really well. So we <clears throat> kind of bonded over that. And, you know, next thing you know, we're friends and then he remembers me three years later and so on and so forth. But, uh, like I say, breaking into comedy and breaking into wrestling is very similar and your chances of success are about equal in, in each one. Now did, uh, having the mic time in pro wrestling, obviously you already said it's still being a comedian is a lot tougher, but do you think that does give you an advantage over, comedians starting in your same spot i mean at least you talked and at least you talked yes. to people right yeah so 100 percent. because when i would go to those open mics and they would have probably 12 15 people go up and you're all sitting back here together most all of those guys and girls were scared out of their mind mm. at the thought of going out in front of a crowd of people number one number two scared of the thought of a bad reaction or any kind of rejection. Wow. And so I, I hung out with four or five guys in the bar area waiting to go up. And so I go up 
And and they said right for weather, like, man, you don't seem nervous at all. I'm like, oh, I'm nervous about whether my material is going to land, but I'm not worried about talking in front of people. And so I went out and yeah. came back and they were like, damn, man, it looks like you've been doing that 20 years as far as, you know, your comfort <laughs> level on stage and everything. And I said, well, here's the thing. I'm like, I'm used to going in front of a crowd of people who all hate my guts. They're booing. They're saying awful things about me. You know, I said, so going out in front of a neutral crowd, I said, I'm not, I mean, I've heard the worst things anybody can say to me. I said, so I'm not worried about that. I'm comfortable going out in front of large groups of people. I said, now trying to get a large group of people to like me intentionally or make Mm. them laugh. I said, that makes me a little nervous. I said, but not really because there there's, nothing on the line here you know if i if the worst case scenario if i really really suck and do awful they'll let me come do it again in three weeks you know <laughs> it's not like you're gonna get mm-hmm. your jokes were so terrible you can never come back because even after like i say even the night that i turned heel on the crowd and was right. just running people i mean there was a guy at the back of the room who looked like 50 cent and i told him i was like smile so i can see you 50 because he had this big gold tooth and then i realized mm-hmm. like oh that sounded really racist that's terrible right. i probably could never go back again if i did that today but that wasn't my intent, but, but like I said, the worst things that happen is, uh, you just come back and try it again the next time. So I imagine in the same token too, like if you're bombing, it also helps you with that being used to that kind of reaction. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you're like, well, okay, well maybe I can be the, if, if the making everybody laugh doesn't work and if I can't make people like me, I can lean into it. I can just be the guy that goes out and just bombs harder than anybody. <laughs> and, and then now it becomes a thing and have to do that though. I just asked the comedian this about a week ago. I, I bring it up to you. I guess it might almost reaffirm it. Maybe you can maybe you can shed a little more light on it. Because um, I talked to him about in pro wrestling, the best characters they always tell you tend to be extensions of yourself. So in comedy, I would think the best comedy routines are extensions of your own sense of humor. And he called it finding your voice. They want to try to find your voice in comedy. What are, you, what are your thoughts about that? What are, I mean, are, is that part of the similarities? Yes. Yes. People just like in wrestling, people who try to create characters and create a voice that is in no way genuine to their personality or who they are usually fail. I mean, it's, it's got to be, and then there's a lot of people that go through a series of attempts before they finally come around and you can watch even some of your favorite comedians. You can go watch their old stuff and you can see, Okay, that was before they figured it out. You know, like mm-hmm. that's not who I've been watching in the last, you know, several years. But something that struck a chord to me, of course, this was after I had already been doing it a while. But one of my favorite comedians is Anthony Jeselnik. Yep. You know, I don't know how so, familiar you are with him, but uh, on the he's almost like he's yeah. almost like, yes, exactly. That's where he became yep. famous. And he's mm-hmm. almost like a heel comedian in my head. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I listened to him. He, he did a podcast with, I want to say, um, Gosh, who was it? I, maybe Jim Norton. I don't know. But he did a podcast and they were kind of talking to him. And, and he, you don't catch him out of character very often, but he was kind of talking about the background. And they're like, so what was they're like, what, you know, was your, the root of all this? Like, where did you, when did you decide to go the route that you went? And he's like, he said, when this all clicked with me, he said, I was at Madison Square Garden at a wrestling show. Mm he said, and Razor Ramon was in the ring. And he said, and he was the bad guy. He goes, that was even his gimmick. Right. You know, he said, he's the bad guy. He goes, but he was the bad guy. 
and people were booing. Like when he come out, people were booing and they were throwing stuff and he won the match and they were mad. He said, but then as soon as he left the ring, he's like the girl next to me goes, I love that guy. He's awesome. And everybody's like mm-hmm. high five and go, Oh yeah, he's awesome. And he's like, Oh, they get it. Like that guy is not a bad guy. They just get that that's character he's playing. And he said, you know, it occurred to me that you don't really have that in comedy, really. He said, you know, he said, I always wondered, could I go up on stage and just be a complete a-hole? But people still kind of get it. And if you watch his stuff, he's very smart about it because he says like, like he says these horrible jokes, but then he'll give this little smile afterwards or this kind of a Mm. wink. It kind of gives you like, all right, you know, we're. (laughs) We're joking here. Don't get too don't yeah. get too serious. But like I I love I love his his material. Like one of my favorite jokes of, of all time is when he gets up there and he's like, uh, yeah, you know, when uh when I was a kid, he said, you know, my my parents always believed that they had to have a gun in the house. You know, they had to have a gun to protect their five children. He said, but you know, eventually uh they got rid of the gun to protect their four children <laughs> stuff like that. But, uh, you know, he's one of my favorites, uh, Tom Segura. Uh, I'm a mm-hmm. huge fan of, even though he talked a lot of crap about pro wrestling, but I get it. I I've, I've struggled with that, you know, because you, you don't want to, I, I hate, like when I first started doing these open mics, like I said, this is around 2006, and so you could sit there and watch and go, that guy likes Larry the Cable Guy. That mm. guy likes Mitch Edward. Okay. That dude's trying to be Chris Rock. And like, I, I never wanted anybody to sit out there and go, like, he's funny, but he's trying to be Jesselnick or he's trying to be Dave Attell mm-hmm. or you know, whoever the case may be. So I tried to be very aware of that. Like, okay, uh, you know, you can study these people and, and borrow things from them, but you, you know, some people you can just tell that that's what got them into comedy and they are now almost doing an impression of them on stage. And that drives me up the wall. Even if you're not just outright doing somebody's material to go out there and just steal somebody's persona to me is just as bad. Sure. I mean, you don't want to be in the ring and you're not trying to rip off Jerry Lawler and come off like a, you don't want to be a carbon copy. You don't want to be Paul Lee. I don't know if you know who that is. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I just came into. It's so funny for as long as we're watching wrestling, I didn't find out about Paul Lee until about a year or two ago. Oh, actually, right when uh, the first Talking Shop came out, and I'm like, like, what the hell is this? My buddy's like, oh, you haven't seen Paul Lee before? I'm like, no. Like, oh shit! And then you find out he's made a career out of that. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm glad Talking Shop are, are using him in the way that he should be used now sure. as a complete joke yeah. and pure comedy. But I mean, I have done serious shows where people have booked, like I did a show in Ripley, Mississippi, where they booked him against Coco Beware. <laughs> and, you know, Coco, I guess, didn't know what he was up against. And they brought him in and he brings the, you know, the Flair robe. And because mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you know his backstory, but like he mm. paid Flair, oh. he paid Flair like 10 grand to walk out in front of a crowd in a, like sports bar somewhere in Georgia to say that he's the new nature boy and he's handing him over the name and all this kind of crap. And so that guy walked in and I, and Coco is a pretty volatile fellow to have been the mm-hmm. bird man and the fun loving dancing guy. in the eighties. <laughs> he's an angry, angry dude in the two thousands. And so I had to be sitting just a few feet away from him. And so Paul Lee comes in and he's like, 
can we cuss on here? I don't know what your yeah, language yeah. thing. Yeah, fine. Nah, so he's really. like, he kind of, and I don't really know Coco, but he kind of tapped me on the arm. He's like, who the fuck is that? I said, <laughs> it's the guy you're working tonight. It's Paul Lee. He goes, he tried, because he come in acting like, like not in front of the crowd. He walks in the dressing room. <laughs> what's up, baby? And he had a suit on. He's carrying the robe and oh my got God. sunglasses in the dressing room. He's like, is he trying to be Ric Flair? I'm like, oh, he, it, it, we're well at Coco. We're 10 miles past trying to be Ric Flair. I'm like, dude, he, he swears he is the real nature boy. I said, yeah, you'll see. And he just put his head in his hands. He's like, I'm like, whoop his ass. And I'm like, more power to you, man. I'm like, you'll be over more than you already are if you whoop his ass. He, man, everything he did to him, he lit him up, chopped. Uh, and that's what's funny. He's like, you want me, Ric Flair? And he backed him in the corner and just starts lighting him up with chops. And after every one of them, Coco was going, woo, woo, woo. <laughs> Now we're off on wrestling. It's supposed to be the comedy. Uh, you know what? I mean, first of all, that's comedy gold. And secondly, I mean, that's something you don't have to deal with up in stand-up. Nobody's going to actually beat you up at least. Yeah, yeah. even though some people need it. but yeah, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. So I guess uh, what final uh... – Comedy question. Uh, two, actually. Actually, I want to ask you a random comedy question. Favorite okay. uh favorite comedic movie. Ooh. I guess if I have to if I oh, that's so tough. But if I have to if I have one. to say one, Tommy Boy with Chris Farley. Oh, and Davis, yeah, excellent choice. It's yeah. it's one of those that anytime it ever comes on, I have got to sit and watch it. And I I laugh just as hard the ten thousandth time as I did the first time. Love it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a good choice. And uh you've done so much stuff now. Uh, podcasting, comedy, wrestling. Have you ever thought about doing any acting too, or anything else? Because you definitely seem versatile. I, <laughs> I would, I would like to, but here in North Alabama, there's not a lot of opportunity to to mm. break into uh, to acting. Uh, I guess maybe if I was over closer to Atlanta, where they seem to be filming everything nowadays, I could have maybe been a zombie extra or something for Walking Dead, or mm-hmm. maybe I could have been the fat guy in Cobra Kai or something, but. Uh, <laughs> Probably, probably not being where I'm at. I'll probably just have to roll with the wannabe comedian and wrestler. Now, actually, one thing, uh, comedy or wrestling, have you done either one in the empty arena setting? I have not. I, I've had the opportunity to, uh, mm-hmm. at least the, the, the wrestling. And, I mean, I've wrestled in some almost empty arenas sure, sure. way before COVID. <laughs> uh, but I... Uh, I've had I've had a couple of family members and quite a few friends affect you know I've lost a couple of family members and and lost mm. a couple of friends and had a lot of them affected by it and so uh, like I said you know I'm I'm lucky I was managing a furniture store when this all happened mm. and I got sent home on a Friday and on month by on Sunday I put in or Saturday I put in an application for a tech support job working from home. And by Monday evening, I had that job. And by that Wednesday, I was working it. So I've been able to work from home. So I haven't had any reason that I have to go out and be exposed. And it's sure. bad here in Alabama, man. It is really, okay. really bad. Like here where I'm at in Coleman, like uh, they're turning people away from the hospital because they just don't have any more room. <sighs> so, uh, yeah, I haven't I haven't went out and performed. I've gotten some offers recently to, to do some commentary for a couple of shows. Mm. And so... I'm considering that because I'm not going to go in the dressing room. I'm just going to come in the front door, go to the commentary booth, and then go right back out the same door I came in if, if right, that right. plays out. Um, nothing against anybody, but I'm just 
So. I don't know, man. I, you know, I'm not the healthiest dude in the world. I'm afraid if I got it, it would, it would do me in. So I'm trying to ride yeah. this thing out. Yeah, I understand that. Now, um, well, you've been gracious enough to talk to me about wrestling, comedy, anything you want to promote, anything social media, tell people what's going on, your podcast, hit it. My uh, my my moniker for, since I've been doing the podcast and writing on the websites and all that, a takeoff on Howard Stern has been the king of all wrestling media. So on Facebook, facebook.com slash king of all wrestling media if you want to add me on Facebook. Uh, like I say, every Sunday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern, we have Cheap Heat TV live with my co-host, Charles Anders. I um, mean, we always have a wrestling guest on. This week, we've got Cabana Man Dan coming up. We had Bob Evans last Saturday. If you uh, would go facebook.com slash Cheap Heat TV live, you can like the page and all the shows, StreamYard shows are right there. We also have an audio version of the show on Anchor that we put links up to as well for for each episode. So you can see uh, you can see it or hear it, whatever's more convenient, because I know a lot of people like to listen to it on their commute. They don't want to have to see my ugly mug for an hour, so you can just <laughs> listen to it. That's usually the preferred way of, of getting it. But I'm lazy. I did the audio thing like you for many years, and man, I would have to record the conversation and then edit it all together on Audacity and all that stuff. And now... Yeah. Boom, StreamYard. I download the MP3. I upload it to Anchor. It's it's right there. I don't have to do any work. So, you know. Uh, but, yeah, I've got that podcast going on. So, yeah, uh, you can find all that at Facebook.com slash King of All Wrestling Media. Add me on there. I pretty much accept just about everybody that adds me. And you can see what all I got going on. And uh, thanks for having me, man. I'll be glad to, uh, to do this anytime you ever get bored. I've still got a... Shit pile of stories, I can tell you. Uh, all of them true. Some of them strange, but all true. I, uh, I'm going to take you up on that offer. So I appreciate you uh, <laughs> doing the show, man. Thank you so much. And uh, this was definitely uh, an interesting, fun time. Uh, we'll be in touch for sure, man. Thank you so much awesome. for doing this. All right. Uh, thanks. All right. So that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's Working Fans Wrestling Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Working Fans Wrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on anchor.fm. Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 